The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys. Hey, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really want to get those numbers up. And we know a lot of you listen to us weekly. So please help us out and hit that subscribe button. It would be greatly appreciated. Tonight, we will be recording two episodes. Earlier, we discussed WVU's victory over Baylor and how that will impact Neil Brown's job security. But for this episode, we will be breaking down the Texas Tech game coming up this Saturday. So let's get right into it. West Virginia takes on Texas Tech in Lubbock on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Both teams are currently 3-3, three and three, and both teams are 1-2 and two in Big 12 play. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out um, because both have a lot to play for. This is a battle between two explosive offenses. And one interesting storyline is Neil Brown is 0-3 against Texas Tech since becoming the head coach at West Virginia. So can Neil Brown get the monkey off his back and get one step closer to bowl eligibility? I'm excited for this game. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, first and foremost, I'm excited to be playing on national television. Um, I I think it's great that um, the Big 12, it seems like, kind of feels like WVU brings in a a good draw and is kind of embracing the team. They're going to be sticking with the Big 12 long-term. Cough, cough, not Texas and Oklahoma. So, um, yeah, I, that's the, that I'm always excited when we get to play against the front of a large audience. And that makes it even more important as to why WVU needs to continue um, the way we started in the Baylor game. And that's playing um, aggressive on defense, scoring points, and controlling the lines of scrimmage. Um, and I think this is a good opportunity to do it. I think Texas Tech is a quality squad. It's tough to play in Lubbock. Neil Brown struggles against his old school, but... I think this is a game WVU can win. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this game will have, you know, throwback Big 12 feels to it. Two offenses who have the ability to score at will. Two teams who are fighting for a bowl game. Um, the scary thing is, though, Texas Tech has the fourth best passing game in the country and the very best passing game in the Big 12. So it's no secret. You know, they're going to want to try to pass the ball against WVU's spotty secondary Um, So let's dive right into it. Texas Tech's head coach, Joey McGuire, has been hush on who's starting um, at quarterback. They have Tyler Shuck, Donovan Smith, and Bayron, I think it's Bayron, Byron, Bayron, Morton. All three Texas Tech quarterbacks are practicing this week, and that's the first time since the season opener that they've been able to say that. Um, All three have also been banged up at one point, one time or another this season. Um, However, all three have started games this year and all are capable of running that offense effectively. Um, I don't know. We we might see some interesting things because McGuire has had some really fun quotes lately. He said he would even tease putting all three of them on the field at the same time if they're all healthy. So maybe be ready for some wacky calls and formations. Um, But he also said whoever starts the game 
will be the starter throughout. He's not going to, you know, bounce back and forth because he doesn't want to knock his guys out of rhythm. So I don't know. He's kind of all over the place in his quotes. We'll see what happens. But regardless, what are your thoughts on Tech's quarterback situation? Yeah. um, So for my analysis, I kind of prepared more for Donovan Smith just because I feel like, you know, his track record has been pretty good this year. I mean, um, he's thrown for over 1,400 yards. Um, He does have seven picks, which is a lot. Um, but he also has 11 touchdowns. So, um, you know, and he he's more of a runner than other guys. Uh, anyways, I mean, he's third on the team in carries. He has over 190 yards rushing on the season so far. So he's capable of running. Um, Sluck has, I think, a little bit more experience. He did play for Oregon for a little bit. Um, so, I mean, it, it just seems like that kid can't catch a break because I think he was hurt last year too. So um, yep. kind of a bummer for him. Um, but you know, in my mind, you know, I feel like Donovan Smith is the guy who might give WB more issues because he does have a little bit more mobility. Um, but on the flip side, he is more prone to error. So I don't know if I would rather face Donovan Smith knowing that he can run the ball around on us a little bit and take advantage of, you know, our poorest second level defense or be more hopeful that he's playing being, knowing that he struggles under pressure is prone to turning the ball over. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Smith is more of a runner slash passer, whereas, um, you know, Shuck and Morton are, you know, they certainly have the ability to take off if necessary. I mean, Morton even had 50 running yards against Oklahoma State, but they're more of your traditional quarterbacks. Um, So, you know, I I think the only way West Virginia changes their approach to this game is if Smith is the starter because Smith even leads them in rushing attempts. So they like throwing him out there, even when he's not starting from, you know, like in goal line situations, to run. Um, and, and I think that's the only time they would call different plays is if he's in there over the other two. But um, like you said, his biggest problem is turnovers. He has seven interceptions and only four starts this year, even though he's seen action in just about every game. Um, four fumbles too. Yeah. Yeah. So because of that, I think they're going to lean more towards Morton. I I watched the game he had against Oklahoma State in the first half. He looked like a Heisman candidate. I mean, he, he was shredding them and then he got banged up right before halftime. And then in the second half, he, he was just a different person. So I feel like if he's healthy and they did just have a bye week, I think they'll lean towards Morton. But who knows? I mean, it's a good problem to have, I guess, if you're the head coach. You have three guys fully capable of putting up numbers in your offense. Um, But regardless, Tech always has weapons at wide receiver. We all know that. This year's no different. They don't have an elite guy, though. Like in the old days, guys like Michael Crabtree, Kiki QT comes to mind. Just elite guys. Um, and they don't really have that. I doubt any of these guys even emerge as an all big 12 member by end of the season. However, it's, it's a solid group. I mean, their leading receiver, Miles Price has an ankle injury as of this episode. Um, we're not sure if he's playing or not. They, you know, it's too early in the week for us to know, but, um, they have plenty of other guys to rely on if he can't suit up. In fact, tech has nine players with 10 or more receptions compare that to WVU who only has four so I mean they definitely like to throw it around and another thing I saw is they really like to get running backs involved in the passing game too 32 halfback receptions for Texas Tech 
Um, so it all comes down to this. How can WVU's spotty pass defense slow down this scary passing attack? Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of to build off what you were saying, um, four wide receivers over 250 yards. So that kind of even shows how much volume some of these guys are getting. And like you alluded to, um, number one in catches is Miles Price. And number two, um, in, or actually number one in targets and number one in yards is Duran Bradley. So I kind of focused on those two guys a little bit more. And what it seems like is that Texas Tech kind of has roles for guys. I mean, they have guys who kind of specialize in certain route trees and combinations, which is, I think, a smart thing to do. But, you know, looking at Miles Price, for example, um, while he is second in receiving yards on the team, he's more of a yards after catch guy. Um, he's averaging seven yards after the catch right now, but he only has an average depth of target of 4.6 yards. So they're throwing to him underneath a lot, letting him kind of create space on his own and get some yak. Um, and he also plays primarily in the soft where Duran Bradley is like the complete opposite guy. Uh, he has 41 targets on the team, which is the most on the team, but he only has 24 catches. And primarily that's because he is, they're throwing the ball downfield to him. His average depth of target is 13.7 yards downfield, which is nine yards further downfield than what Price is getting. And he's a big dude. I mean, he plays outside. He's 6'5", 215. Um, he leads the team in touchdowns with three. He leads the team in contested t- catches with five. So um, I, I think the secret to containing some of these weapons is kind of figuring out where Texas Tech wants to give him the ball and beating him to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And like we just discussed on the last episode, our defense loves to play, you know, zone, which, which is kind of scary with a team like this. Cause like you said, they like, they have their guys who they like to throw underneath to, and they like their guys who go over top. And so, I mean, they can really beat you several different ways. It's not a team like Baylor who likes to throw over the middle and run a lot of screens where you can kind of predict where the ball is going. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, on paper, this is, a very scary team. So it's just kind of hard to see how our secondary is going to slow it down. But I, I think it's just, you know, what we've been talking about for weeks, they just need to be very aggressive. And if you get beat from time to time, then you get beat. I mean, it seems like even when we're playing conservative and dropping guys back, we get beat too with these chunk plays. So I think WV's defense just needs to, um, maybe jump the gun a little bit. Does that mean you'll get beat by a double move here and there? Maybe, but at the same time, you might come up with a few big splash play turnovers like we saw against Baylor. Yeah. The one thing I liked that I would like to see a steal from, you know, some of the other big 12 teams we played is how physical some of the secondary guys played. You know, I think of Texas where, you know, their secondary wasn't great going up into that game, but what really set them apart and what really gave WV problems was how physical they were. They went up there and they put pads on players every time, you know, they even if they would miss tackle sometimes, it's just play physical, beat them down, make players scared. Pitt did the same thing with Bryce Ford Wheaton, even though, you know, it was maybe a little bit too an extreme with uh, the head hunting a little bit. Um, but still, you know, it, it's a strategy you can employ. And if you have guys who aren't great in coverage and go, um, we've talked about how Texas is in great in coverage, but they made up for it with their physicality. Can WVU be physical and get these guys off their games? That's something new that they should try. And instead of playing a little bit more passive, play aggressive, play through the ball, um, try to break up some passes. And if you don't break up the passes, at least let the receiver know that you were there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And the only thing they got to worry about with that is, you know, giving up yards after the catch, which you just said they like doing as well. So, I mean, it's yep. really a tricky situation. <laughs> this is why we don't get paid the big bucks to come up with game plans because <laughs> a team like Texas Tech really does give you a headache trying to figure out how you can slow them down. Um, you know, two guys you'll see running the ball for them is Sherrodrick Thompson, who had two touchdowns against WVU last year, and Taj Brooks are their two big running backs. Um, Thompson is a pretty good runner, and chances are that's who you'll see get the you know majority of the handoffs. But um, obviously, Tech doesn't run the ball a lot, and I think WVU will have success in slowing down the run game, even if they you know, do try to establish a run because tech just one, they don't focus on it. And two, our front seven's pretty good. Tech's offensive line just has not been very good pat or run blocking all year. Um, Thompson has really had to fight and claw to get the yards he even has this year. My only concern is that tech's passing game could wear down WVU's defense and Tech will start to gash WVU's D in the second half. That's the only way I could see them having success in the run game. Um, I could potentially see that happening. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think it'll be key for us to shut down runs and force Tech into second and third and long situations. I think that'll go a long way in WVU getting a victory on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And, and another thing you they can kind of key on, is that Brooks and um, Sir Roderick Thompson are two different types of backs. Brooks is more of a power back. He runs mostly inside of the tackles. 71% of his carries are in between the tackles. Um, You know, he's a big back, 5'10", 230 pounds. He's forced 15 missed tackles. But he likes bruising up the middle, and you kind of, you know, rely on him to have most of his carries up there. So maybe you can cheat a little bit there. While Sir Roderick Thompson is pretty explosive, he has twelve more twelve runs of more than ten yards. He's forced twenty three forced missed tackles, and forty percent of his carries actually come outside of the tackles. And he's really dangerous on those carries too. He's averaging two six point three yards per carry um, when he's rushing outside of the tackles, um, with eight rushes of ten yards or more. And he's also averaging four point two eight yards after contact on those outside rushes. Um, including forcing 14 missed tackles, which is more than Taj Brooks um, has forced total, um, just running in the middle. So um, you can kind of cheat a little bit. I mean, they're obviously going to run those guys a little bit all over the place a little bit, but where they're most effective is something that you can kind of, you know, guesstimate and try to figure out how you can take those guys out of the game. And I think it's going to be key, you know, is to keep Sir Roderick Thompson inside those tackles because while, you know, Taj Brooks, Brooks obviously is a big physical runner. He's not someone who's going to gash you for big gains and, you know, just pounding up the middle, keeping you up, keeping you honest, um, isn't something that's super scary. Um, Thompson can really gash you for some big plays. So um, you want to keep him reined in and keep him inside of those tackles. And that's going to be on the defensive ends and linebackers to, you know, keep contained. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing, for WVU to win is how they're performing on the offense against Tech's defense. Texas Tech's defense is actually pretty good at defending the pass. They have the second best pass defense in the Big 12. They're only allowing about 220 yards per game. 
And they've made guys like Spencer Sanders throw for under 50% in completions. So, um, you know, they've had some impressive performances thus far. So what does JT Daniels and the Mountaineer wide receivers have to do to have success against this defense? So I think that they need to, you know, I think something that would be very effective against this group is to employ, you know, double moves, um, you know, things that they can't predict because, you know, they're two best corners or their two starting corners, I should say Malik Dunlap and Rashad Lewis are guys who can break up passes. Uh, Dunlap has seven pass breakups on the year. Williams has six and they don't allow their receivers to catch a lot of targets um, with Dunlap allowing 40% of targets to be caught and Williams allowing 39% of his targets to be caught. But it seems like they're successful in that because they're an aggressive cornerback as something that we're talking about the WVU defensive backs doing more of um, because when they do allow a catch Dunlap is allowing receivers to get 14 yards per reception while Williams is at 21 yards per reception so you got to take advantage of those of that aggressiveness and you know just beat them you know let them bite let them try to anticipate don't feed into it just take advantage of their mistakes and beat them deep um, like you said I think it's a good analogy to talk about how this could be like an old big 12 football game, because if WVU secondary can't hold up and these corners are playing as aggressive as they are, this could be a very, very high scoring game. If both offensive coordinators drop the right game plan. Oh yeah. I mean, I I heard what the over was um, for Vegas and I think it was in the sixties. I mean, it was maybe even higher. It, It was something ridiculous. So everyone's predicting this to be an absolute shootout. And um, to me, I I think an important thing to do will be to establish the run game for WVU um, because for as good as Texas Tech is at defending the pass, you know, they're not very good at defending the run. They are the second to last Big 12 team in run defense, and they're allowing 146 yards per game. So Tony, Justin, if CJ Donaldson's healthy, they all have potential to have really big days, much like we did against Baylor. So West Virginia needs to establish the run early and often, I think, um, control the clock if you need to. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, do things that make your offense uncomfortable. You don't want to like change your completely your identity, but um you know, establishing the run game and having long drives, I, I I think that would be huge for a victory. You can make that secondary cheat up a little bit um, and, and maybe hit some shots over the top. So um, I, I can't emphasize enough. They, they can't do what they did against Texas and completely ignore the run game to start because it could be very reminiscent of Texas. They could be down early and then be forced to throw a lot, which Texas Tech would love for West Virginia to do that'd be playing right into their hands oh for sure and you know kind of the three names to watch from Texas Tech on the rush defense is um Kryshawn Merriweather um who's a threat in the pass rush as well he has 12 pressures and three sacks but he's also the leading tackler on the team and he's pretty solid in run defense um Jalen Hutchings is their starting defensive tackle who is a short stout guy six foot 310 pounds um, and another guy that, you know, Zach Frazier is going to have to handle up there in the middle. And I think, you know, after his practice session with, uh, with Ika last week in Baylor, he should be able to make short work with Hutchings. Um, so he doesn't worry me too much. He is their best run defender and he is very good at kind of eating up blocks, 
but I think Zach Frazier really gives us a leg up there. Um, the guy who really kind of intrigues me, I don't know if worries me is the right answer, but really intrigues me is their starting safety. If that's what you want to call him, Marquise waters, he is abysmal in coverage. Um, I do want to start out by saying that he's allowed the most receptions and the most yards on the team. He's allowed 208 yards after receptions. However, um, he is someone who is extremely good against the run. Um, and he plays everywhere. I was looking at, um, where PFF has him as playing and he will play on the outside, on the defensive line. He'll play as a box safety. He'll play in the slot. He will play all over the formation. And, you know, what that kind of strikes me of is if, you know, you remember last year um, for Baylor, they had Jalen Petrie who gave us all sorts of problems. Um, and I'm hoping that this is another one of those guys who we just kind of can't account for and just wreaks havoc in our backfield, wreaks havoc on our short passing game, um, even though he's not a great, great in coverage. But, hey, um, we've done stupider things before. So um, he's a guy I kind of want to highlight because he plays everywhere and um, Texas Tech seems to deploy him like a Swiss army knife. So it's going to be interesting to see how WVU accounts for him, um, especially in the run game, because he can be disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. And a big thing that I would like to see them do, which they did against Baylor is utilize your tight ends. I know Mike O'Loughlin is, is pretty much done for the year um, is what I'm hearing, but um, y- you have two tight ends who seem, I mean, they're not outstanding, but they're capable of providing extra support and maybe giving you extra help on a guy like that who can slow it down. Um, because once again, I, I think Tony and company have to have a big day if West Virginia wants any chance of keeping up with that scary Texas Tech offense, because more than likely they're going to get their points. It's just all about whether West Virginia can keep up with them or not. Yeah. And I want to talk about tight ends real quick too, because I think it's a, a good topic to discuss um, with Mike O'Laughlin out. I mean, um, we saw Brian Polanday play a lot, and he he has been very underwhelming so far this year. Um, Traylon Davis um, can't seem to remember the snap count. He's young, but, I mean, he's just not working out. And um, I'm interested to see how WVU kind of handles that because you can't have someone who's a complete liability out there just to play them for the sake of being a body. And, you know, the guy I always wonder about is I understand he's a true freshman, but Corbin Page from West Virginia, he's a big body. Um, and he's young, but I mean, you know, I, if we have to run a tight end, I would like to see him get some reps or should WVU kind of embrace more of the, um, you know, air raid style and just spread out teams, create more running lanes up the middle, um, get guys out of the box by playing more four four wide outs and run that way. Yeah. Once again, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the coaches dial up this game plan to see what's effective. Um, but I mean, yeah, for me, I still think you, you, you establish the run. I mean, the only way those tight ends are going to get better is if they get reps and that's who you've got to roll with for the last six games of the year. Michael Laughlin's done and that's who you got. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm not saying every game that's the strategy you need to do, but, um, against a team like tech who has such a glaring hole on defense and, you know, the run game whereas they seem to shut down the pass game pretty well. I say, you know, WVU's best game so far this year is when they've established the run. So it's kind of like the the perfect mixture heading into this game. Yeah. Um, 
One more thing on the defense, too, I wanted to get your thoughts on is I noticed that um, Texas Tech has an edge rusher named Tyree Wilson, um, and he seems to be kind of a freak. Uh, 31 pressures, seven sacks on the year. Um, WVU, we've just talked about how great they've been pass protecting, but um, I can't really remember any sort of guy who's put up numbers similar to this that we faced in since maybe Pitt. So um, how do you feel like WVU is going to do at um, controlling Tyree Wilson? So when I was looking at their defense, I was just you know checking out stats. That's the name that kept popping off the page. And so I eventually Googled them and, and did a deeper dive. And pretty much everyone has them getting drafted in the NFL. So um, he's a legit player. Like you said, he does create a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, that's the guy really I think I'm most scared of on their defense. Um, I, I think if, if anyone's going to cause havoc, it is going to be Wilson. Um, but yeah, I mean, that I'm going to be honest. That's a guy I didn't know a lot about until today when I really started researching him. But um, that's definitely a guy they need to keep an eye on. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, the one thing that I like is that Wyatt Milam has been playing better. Um, you know, I didn't look in too much as to what side Wilson prefers to line up on. But, you know, I'm really hoping that Milam can keep his streak going um, because he he can be prone to just games where he falls apart. Um, he's still young and it, it's, it's tough um, to, to play, play guys like that. Um, so, you know, I'm really hoping that we kind of hone in on figuring out a way to stop him and keep the running backs in on the passing game. We don't really use them anyway. So make sure you have one of the backs back there understanding that, you know, you're going to have to help chip this guy and make sure he doesn't um, get in JT Daniels face. Yeah. 100%. I'm with you. Um, another thing we wanted to discuss today, guys, was the future of the Big 12 because they had some news come out this week. Um, so let's talk about it for a minute. The Big 12 has announced a divisionless schedule for the 2023-2024 seasons. Um, they they will have 14 teams uh, these next two years with the addition of Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston, plus Texas and Oklahoma. As of right now, we'll still be in the Big 12 for those two seasons. So, um, yeah, there'll be no divisions, and the top two teams will meet in the conference championship, which, yeah, I mean, that's what the Big 12 does now, so that's not really that different. However, everybody can't play each other in one single year because of how many teams there are. So the way they're going to do it is they will protect rivalry games, like, for example... Uh, Texas and Oklahoma will play both seasons. Our rivalry game, our protected rivalry, will be Cincinnati due to location and our history, I'm sure. So I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting how they decided to do that. I, I, I think it's a really good idea. So what are your thoughts on what the Big 12 will look like in the 23-24 seasons? Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, um, I mean, I, I can see the argument for having divisions, but I do like the idea of, you know, kind of rotating through teams over years. And obviously that's going to change when Texas and Oklahoma leave. But, you know, I, I, I like the ability of kind of cycling through all the opponents over, a, you know, a two-year period or so. Um, you know, I, I think that makes the conference feel more um, relatable. And I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know, to fans, it makes them feel like, you know, they're all part of the same conference as opposed to when you're playing in like the sec, you're only playing like the same 
five or six teams every year and you might see the schools from the other division maybe once every three or four years it kind of depersonalizes the feeling of that conference so um i think it's a really unique approach and and i kind of like it i'm interested to see how it works out um i love that we have cincinnati as our rival it's good to know that we're going to have at least one short road trip every two years um you know i do think that the long road trips does take a toll on the team and that's something that people probably don't talk about enough but yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the new Big 12. I know we've mentioned it a lot. Um, you know, it kind of feels like the old Big East where, you know, you have these guys who've been around a while, you have the new bloods, and every school seems like they're trending in the right direction. I mean, I, I don't think there's a school on in the conference right now or is coming into the conference right now that I can look at and say, well, that team doesn't kind of match up with our talent level because all four teams coming in are pretty solid. And all 10 teams currently in the big 12 are pretty solid too. So um, it's going to be interesting. It might hurt our chances at a, our, as in big Virginia, but chances at a college football spot, because we might all just beat up on each other, but um, it's going to be fun football to watch for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the big 12 this year is, is so good. Top to bottom. We only have one team with a losing record. And that's Iowa State, who's just three and four. They're just one game short of being 500 or above. So there's lots of parity. And I'm with you. I think with the addition of those four teams, it's just going to create more parity because those are all good schools. And I love the new divisions. I think it's a good thing because look at the ACC or the Big Ten. Three or four of their best teams are all in one division. Um, And so I like how the Big 12 does it where you know you just take the two best teams period stick them in the conference championship and i feel like you get more of the right representation from your conference doing that um and it looks like that's what the big 12 will do the next couple years with their 14 teams we'll see what they do once they have 12 um but i don't know i mean everyone's so high on the sec and the big 10 and they certainly have good schools but I think the Big 12 is the most fun team to watch so far this season, like we just talked about. Just every team's a quality opponent. It seems like every game is pretty close. You don't see a ton of blowouts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just love the way the Big 12 is trending. Yeah, I mean, it's the way college football should be, really. I mean, the, you know, having an Alabama or not Ohio State who's blowing out, you know, whoever they're playing, you know, five out of the 12 weeks of the season um, and three of those games are conference opponents. I mean, that's just, that's just not fun. And that's not, I mean, you can tell they're a step above and I'm not saying that juggernaut shouldn't exist because if you're winning, you should be able to continue to build your program. But, you know, I think there's a lot of value in having a a conference like the big 12 where everyone's kind of the same size. Um, And that's going to just create even more parity whenever um, Texas and Oklahoma leave because then you don't have those juggernauts who just have millions and millions of dollars in their war chest to kind of pump into, um, you know, these and NIL and all these other things. You've got a whole bunch of schools that are around the same size um, geographically and, you know, culture wise, they're not too different. So, you know, fans can kind of get along and understand a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, every team has a little bit of an underdog feeling. And again, it kind of harkens back to the way the old big, big East was where, you know, you didn't really have that big marquee team, but you had five or six teams that were just fun to watch every week. And, you know, after a few years, 
um, the media kind of caught on that the Big East was fun to watch and, you know, tune in on Thursdays, you know, and then you also get um, more recognition in the polls. So um, while I think a lot of people are selling the Big 12 in terms of how they're going to fare in the new college football whenever Texas and Oklahoma leave, I think there's a big hole that the Big 12 teams can kind of grow into by showing that not only do we draw fans, but we also play the most fun and exciting brand of football. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be attractive to, you know, other teams who who are kind of on the outside looking in, like look at some of the back pack 12 teams right now. Um, so I'm with you and, and let's just, you know, recap what happened over the weekend and the big 12, other than the WVU Baylor game, um, Kansas de- or sorry, Oklahoma defeats Kansas 52 to 42 with the absence of Jalen Daniels, Kansas has kind of hit a wall. They've they've dropped two straight games, and their bad defense is getting exposed because, I mean, their defense hasn't really played well all year, and they no longer have Daniels to cover up that deficiency. So, um, you know, I, I will give Bean, the, the backup quarterback, his props. He, he's not a bad quarterback. He's actually put up some good stats. Um his only knock is he's not Jalen Daniels, who is just such a special athlete and and can single-handedly win you a game. So um, what do you make of Oklahoma bouncing back? And of course, the big reason why was because they had Dylan Gabriel. Um, but what do you make of their bounce back in Kansas kind of faltering a little bit? You know, it was interesting to see how well Oklahoma bounced back after that um, drubbing by Texas. Um, for Kansas, you know, I think Jalen Dan- Daniels is just such a difference maker, um, you know, and, and such a big loss. I think you have Jalen Daniels in that game. You probably come out with a win um, because, you know, I, I think he also can control the offense a little bit better with the way he runs the ball. Um, I know Bean's mobile too, but Jalen Daniels is just different. Um, his arm's better. Um, he has a cannon for an arm. He can be accurate. Um, so, I mean, for Oklahoma, um, I, I don't know what to think of them because Texas defense isn't all world. You know, they're not good enough to shut you out. And I understand Dylan Gabriel was out, but to be shut out, not a good look. Um, and putting up a, a lot of points against Kansas really doesn't tell you much either because Kansas defense isn't very good. So um, Oklahoma is still a confusing team. I'm sure that um, a lot of big media members will go out there and jump back on the Oklahoma bandwagon and say, they're back. Texas is just elite. And you know, one more winner, and we're going to give Oklahoma some votes, even though they probably don't deserve it right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. And the one thing that I thought was interesting is, did you realize that Jalen Daniels is only 19 years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. So, he, uh, I remember them talking about it a lot last year, about why that was such a big reason to redshirt him, because he was so young, and I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. The dude's just so talented. It'll be interesting to see what he does at the end of the season because, of course, the report came out that he's done for the year, and then he's refuting it. Which um, uh, I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty big injury that he has, but maybe he can come back for a game or two at the end of the year. Who knows? But um, it'll be interesting to see if he decides to stay at Kansas, if he decides to go to a bigger name school. Who knows? No, he's also, I think he's a redshirt sophomore, so he's draft eligible too if he wanted to test the waters. Oh, really? Can he leave after this year? I believe so. I think he's a, a third-year player, so I think he, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think he enrolled in college when he was 17. 
Because I know they talked about redshirting him last year. Like, they were debating whether he, they were going to let him play in the WVU game last year. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a redshirt sophomore, so he could go. I know I've seen several people talk about him potentially entering, so I'm, I think he is eligible if he wants to go. Now, him only playing four or five games, should he? I don't know. But, I mean, also, going into the draft at 19 or 20 years old, um, I'm sure. I mean, look at what happened with Trey Lance. I mean, he only had a small sample size of games and he was young and showed a lot of talent. And he went number two or number three overall just based on workouts. So who knows what could happen with Jalen Daniels? I mean, he could go undrafted or he could be a top 10 pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, circling back to Oklahoma, though, I mean, a lot of people might think, um, you know, Oklahoma's on the rise again, but let's not forget their defense gave up 42 points. So, um, you know, I'm with you. I really don't know what to make of them. A lot of people are saying, you know, that's a game WVU can really win this year. And without a doubt, I, I think, you know, that'll be a competitive game. But, um, you know, they're, they they got a lot of problems on defense. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they perform over the next few weeks before that Mountaineer-Oklahoma game. Yeah, yeah. And to kind of get ahead of it, too, um, unless Oklahoma rips off, like, goes on an undefeated streak until that – from from now until they play WVU. If WVU would upset Oklahoma, whether it would be an upset or not, that would not still, in my opinion, be a marquee win for, for Neil Brown. Just want to get ahead of the the, the, the the rage in case we did get that win. Yeah, you're looking way down the road for that one. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about Texas defeats Iowa State 24-21. to uh, This is a game Iowa State just let get away. They had an opportunity to win it at the end. But Xavier Hutchinson dropped a key pass in the red zone. It was like right around the 10 yard line, I think. Um, and if he would have stayed on his feet, he might have been able to just walk in with it and take the lead. Um, but also, I think Texas got a little home cooking. Uh, Tech Iowa State was penalized on a roughing the passer call earlier in the game that he raced an interception. So it was a huge play. And in my opinion, it wasn't a great call, but. You know, whatever. That's a call that you see all the time now in football. However, um, they weren't consistent because on Iowa State's final drive, Decker Hunter gets clobbered in the helmet and fumbles. And Texas recovers. Nothing's called. And that's pretty much game over. Um, in my opinion, you, you can't call one of those penalties and greatly affect the game and then just swallow your whistle on the final drive when it was clearly a targeting call. Um, but whatever. I mean, Iowa State had their opportunities. They they could have won regardless. They just didn't capitalize on them. And they are now 0-4 in the Big 12. And they they sit at the bottom all by themselves now because Oklahoma won. Yeah, yeah I feel bad for Iowa State. Uh, every game they've lost has been super close. And this was a game that they probably should have won, like you said. I mean, at the very least, you know, they should have had – few more shots at the end zone or at least a field goal um, after that targeting call, because that's what it should have been, um, you know, and it, it kind of looking, you know, stepping back a little bit too. It's interesting for, for Matt Campbell. I don't think anyone's thinking less of him. I still think he's a very good head coach and people think that he's a good head coach, but I mean, 
think of the jobs that job offers he was getting three or four years, two or three years ago, I should say, um, you know, in, in the situation he's dealing with now, um, you know, and that's not to say he's not enjoying the rebuild. He might like that part of the job, but I mean, it can't be easy losing all these close games and losing that way to Texas um, whenever, you know, a year or two at like Notre Dame or some other really big school making a lot of money. So uh, just kind of goes to show you that, you know, I, I, I think Matt Campbell's going to turn it around this year. Definitely isn't the year, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just tough for Iowa state right now. They're so close and it seems like their defense is top notch. They might have, um, let me just think about it for a second. They might have the best defense in the big 12. Do you think that's right? I mean, it seems like they're always holding teams down. I don't have it in front of me, but if I had to guess, yeah. Because, I mean, they, they slowed down that explosive Texas offense to just 24 points. Um, if we're talking about their overall, um, you know, games contributing to that, not just conference play, they played Iowa at one point this year, and we all know how dreadful they are on <laughs> offense. So I'm sure that's really going to pad your stats. So, yeah, if I had to guess, they're probably the, the number one defense in the Big 12. Yeah, and that's tough to to lose games whenever you're holding teams that, you know, below point levels that they're not used to scoring. I mean, it just kind of goes to show you how far losing Brees Hall and, um, you know, all that offensive talent set them back, Brock Purdy. Um, so they'll be back. But um, they're also not an easy win for WVU coming up either because that defense, I mean, could really pose problems for us. And with how bad our secondary is, I mean, who's to say that um, Hunter to Xavier Hutchins thing couldn't just – absolutely torch us and put 30 points on the board against us. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are acting like that game's a slam dunk win on WVU's schedule. And without a doubt, I mean, if you're looking at who they have left, that's definitely one that you want WVU to, to win, but that's a road game. That's probably one of the toughest defenses you'll play all year. So by no means is that just a layup for the Mountaineers. That's for sure. Um, and then we have one more game to get to TCU defeats Oklahoma state in an exciting 43 to 40 overtime win. Um, unfortunately I missed this game. I, I really wanted to see it, but I wasn't home. Um, but it, I watched the highlights. It looked like it lived up to the hype. This moves TCU to six and zero, and they are the only undefeated team left in the big 12. They are tied with Kansas state with three and O in big 12 play. But um, yeah, I mean, they're the only team who hasn't lost all year. So it really put TCU in the driver's seat. Yeah. Stunning. I, I didn't catch the game either, but I, I made sure to write, read through um, the comment threads from the, the game thread on, on Reddit. And it definitely seemed like Oklahoma state fans were really kind of pissed at Gundy for taking the foot off the gas in the second half. Um, because it, it, it at, one point I know um, Texas tech was up or not Texas tech, Oklahoma state was up by multiple scores and TCU just came right back. Um, and it's amazing. This, this second life that Sonny Dykes has had as a power five head football coach, because, you know, he did good at a smaller school, but he did so bad at Cal. And now, you know, he's turned this TCU program around really, really quick. I mean, me, I thought this team would probably be worse than Iowa state and they are nowhere close to that. I mean, they, um, are they going to go undefeated? I, I don't think so, but I mean, I think offensively, offense wise, they can definitely score with the best of them. Um, and somehow, some way, their defense um, has been able to 
stop teams from scoring more points than them. So um, really exciting football team and kind of a out of nowhere. I, I, if someone had TCU winning the Big 12 at the beginning of the season, I would have called them a liar to their face. <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, last year, TCU, of course, they had a lot of talent, but I mean, they were one of the worst teams in the Big 12 last year. They, their defense couldn't stop anybody. Their offense wasn't consistent enough. And now all of a sudden they make one head coaching change, come back with almost the same talent, and they're 6-0 and just like that. They even lost their best running back into the portal, who I believe he went to Old Miss. Um, mm-hmm. So it's impressive what they're doing over there. Do I think they'll you know, go undefeated? I don't. Um, their defense still gives up a lot of points. They're, they're winning close games. I think eventually that'll catch up with them uh, because they barely beat um, Kansas. Just I think that was just a week ago, and then they had this close one against Oklahoma State. But um, I definitely think they will be in the top three at the end of the year. And so more than likely they will um, head to the conference championship. So it is impressive what they're doing over there. And it uh, it definitely makes me excited for WVU's next home game. I know we've already mentioned it, but um, hopefully WVU can pull off a road win in Lubbock and be coming back to Morgantown on a roll against a more than likely highly ranked TCU team. So we'll see. Does TCU play this week or are they on a bye? That's a really good question. Let me pull that up real quick. They, I would love for them to come in they play in Kansas the state. So that's wow. Oh, that's, that's back to back weeks. Really huge games for them because Oklahoma State and TCU were the only undefeated teams heading into that game. And now TCU and K- Kansas State are the only two 3-0 and Big 12 teams. So, um, hey, I mean, that could work in our favor because maybe they come off two huge, highly emotional games and then they come to Morgantown and, and we sneak up on them. We'll see. And- that's really good too for us because TCU is a home game for us. And so is Kansas state. And if those mm-hmm. are going to be the top two teams coming in, I mean, Oklahoma state's still up there. They're going to be hanging around and that's in the way game, but that's still too me that's selfishly as a fan am looking forward to uh, those games. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. I love the schedule this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's all I got for the podcast tonight. You got anything else? No, that was it. All right. Yeah. Um, Once again, guys, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really want to pump those numbers up. um, And we know a lot of you listen to us weekly. So do us a favor and just hit subscribe. We would greatly appreciate it. And as always, thanks for listening, guys. We we love doing this and we're happy that uh, you guys tune in. So we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.